When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Adam Smith leading the charge. Van Juma left corner of the penalty area. Arnold Van Juma in the box. Up to his right foot. Oh, magnificent finish. Arnold Van Juma, that might be the winner. A fantastic strike from the Cherries preseason in Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name is Sam Davis and as you can probably tell by the birds tweeting in the background... I'm sat outside doing this today because, well, the weather is way too nice to be sat, cooped up indoors recording a podcast and with nice weather expected over the next few days as well. I mean, look at this, 25 on Tuesday, 25 on Wednesday, 22 on Thursday. It's basically a heat wave, lads. Anyway... We're out slightly later than usual today and I could say that I got a minor knock and therefore couldn't put this out on time but that would be spin, wouldn't it? I mean, AFC Bournemouth wouldn't do that, would they? We'll talk about Josh King later on the show. But how are you feeling? Hopefully good. 3-2 win over Blackburn Rovers at the weekend and I think most of us are all smiles but we're not exactly overconfident because it was a performance that asked a lot of questions as well as answer them as well. So with me later on in the show to dissect that Rovers performance, Jeff Hayward is joining me. And then tomorrow in the EFL Cup, the Carabao Cup, we face Crystal Palace. What are we going to do with that? The winners face Manchester City. Back in the day, that used to be a carrot dangler, but for the squad we've got at the moment, I think I'd rather not even be in it. We'll get Jeff's opinion a bit later on in the show. But we're going to be playing a catch-up on this particular programme with Luther Blissett and Gary Taphouse. Now, they joined us on our YouTube channel on Thursday for a bit of a press-pass show where we preview the championship. Now, Luther talked about the name of his house in Corfe Mullen, 
Was it his? Was that true? We asked him the question. And Gary Taphouse, he's a Sky Sports commentator who works a lot for the Premier League but covers a lot of Bournemouth. So we also got his opinion on all things AFCB as well. So we pick out the best nuggets from that conversation. Plus... I'm not sure if you know this, but we sent a video message to the players of AFC Bournemouth for them to watch before the match on Saturday. It was played out on the big screen. It was a video message where lots of fans got together and we basically put some motivational messages out there to inspire them. Last time it didn't quite work, but this time it definitely did. And uh, Cherry Chimes author Peter Bell and Steve Butler, well, they were bang on the money. Their motivational messages for Arnaud Danjuma certainly worked. What a winning goal that was. We're going to be playing that out for you as well. Plus, of course, as well as Jeff, we're going to get your opinions. We did a full-time free-for-all straight after the final whistle, and we're going to get some select comments from that too. But first, let's start with the usual. It's the return of this bad boy. So, in our last victory against Crystal Palace, there was a certain Cherries player that scored with his very first touch of the ball. Can you tell me who it was? And bonus points if you can name the minute that he scored in. Okay, let's do that. So, who scored with their first touch in our last win against Crystal Palace and what minute did he score in? If you know the answer, credit to you. And the answer's going to be at the end of the show. So firstly then, let's wind back to Thursday where we chatted to Cherry's goal-scoring legend Luther Blissett and Sky Sports' Gary Taphouse. You might not know the name, but you'll certainly know the voice. And we chatted to them about Bournemouth's chances this season in the second tier. Gary, how are you? Hi, yeah, no, really good, really good, thank you. Again, really looking forward to the new season. I wouldn't say buzzing because... You know, fans aren't going to be there. And that is, you know, that's what football's all about. So as soon as they're back, I'm going to be buzzing. But obviously, you know, it, it is my job. So I'm looking forward to it starting again on Saturday. And I'm loving the fact you've got an actual mic as well. Now, Lisa Blissett <laughs> is, um, is actually with us. It is a pleasure to have a goal-scoring hero on the show. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Very good indeed. Really pleased to be uh around the black and red again. <laughs> Good man. And, uh, well, Letha, I'll tell you what, we'll start with you. Um, as a person who's got more than a passing interest in AFC Bournemouth and Watford, yeah. last season must have been a nightmare season for you. It was hideous, really awful. And I think what made it what made it really worse was the problems that uh, AFC Bournemouth were having mm. with injuries and all that... I think that really compounded the issue of you guys getting relegated because my feeling on it was, had you not had the problem, especially losing pretty much every every member of your back four at, at some stage of the season, you probably would have been okay with that. And mm. some of the performances at the very end, I was keeping my finger at Man City. I just keeping my fingers crossed that you guys would have got that goal back. I'm telling you, because if you had done, you'd have been all right. And yeah, it was it was an awful season. But what went on at Vicarage Road and. Obviously, the two clubs that came up together, went down together. Yeah, it was awful. Just one of the worst possible things that could happen. 
did you see on Sky when they did the um, poll yesterday of the three teams, who do they think is more likely to come straight back? Mm. And when it started, the Watford one went for 100%, because all the Watford supporters went on straight away. And, went, it's going to be... <laughs> okay. and then as, as the Bournemouth fans and the Norwich fans came, it was sort of equal, but Watford were still well out in front when I, when I stopped looking. And I'm hoping that is not um, going to be something that conjures up um, complacency in, in the fans more than the players, that they're going to come straight back. Because I think we all know that championship is one hell of a division to get out of. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, from, from, from my perspective, looking at um, what's going on at Bournemouth, how... How was the how was the preseason very short preseason? How has that that gone? And what's the feeling that all of you get from the way things are at the moment uh, at, at base? Well, the, the two games that uh, that they've been, we played away at Benfica, went down two one, played okay, um, but uh, then played what I called the reserves of West Ham's reserves and beat them five three. So. You know, it's difficult to read too much into it. The, the the team seemed to be playing with a bit more freedom. They seemed to be enjoying themselves a bit more. And there was a bit more fluidity about the shape, which I think last season under Eddie, it all got a bit static at times. Yeah. Um, but but Gary, you, you probably saw a lot of the club last season. I don't did you see did you see those preseason games? I watched the West Ham game, yeah. They've been very impressive. West Ham were incredibly poor, weren't they? Um, but yeah, there were, I thought there was a lot of positives there um, for Bournemouth, and, and I look at you know Bournemouth's team, you know, going into the new season, yeah. and you know the, the, the first eleven we could probably all pick it right now. Um, mm. I think we'd probably all come up with probably the same team um, off the top of my head: Travers, Smith, um, Cook, Mepham, Rico, Brooks, Billing, Lerma, Danjuma, Surridge, Solanke. That's probably going to be close to the team, isn't it? Um, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Gary. Lloyd <laughs> Kelly. Lloyd Kelly. Come on, the new Nathan. Okay, Hattie. Lloyd oh. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Um, but, you know, that team should be good enough for the championship. Yeah. But the question is, is is the squad below that? Because we all know that team can't play two or three games every single week. Yeah, and the championship right. is just so brutal. Um, is the is, is the rest of the squad up to that? I don't know. That's going to be the question, and that, that's why I still think there's going to be movement in in the transfer window. In terms of our relegation last season, for me, my only crumb of comfort is that it happened in a season where it didn't really feel like it was football anymore. Anyway, with VAR and obviously the break with you know coronavirus, and as a commentator, Gary. Um, Obviously, you did um, a number of matches uh, during Project Restart, and it's going to be the same for you when you go back. Have you have you got used to the way things are now, being in an empty stadium? I don't like it. I mean, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm used to it. But, um, yeah, the first game I did back was the, the Bournemouth Palace game. And, um, you know, turning up, it was just very, very strange, the fact that uh, we're in this amber zone, very strict about where we can and can't go. Um, very obviously a sterile environment in, in every sense. Temperature checked two or three times, constant hand washing, masks um, all the time, unless you're commentating. Um, and obviously, you know, no atmosphere whatsoever. And, I, you know, Eddie talked quite a lot about the fact that Bournemouth in particular really missed that because of the nature of the ground, um, which we you know, which I completely agree with. So, 
you know, as, as I said before, all I'm really looking forward to this season is getting fans back as soon as possible. And, and I, I found all that yesterday extremely depressing that, you know, it all looks like it's going to be put back further and that the test of events are going down to a thousand. And it looks like it's further away than ever at the moment. So, yeah, I, I really, really don't like it. I, I'm praying that we get fans back um as soon as possible because so i don't want to get used to it we're lucky in our ears we do actually get the the fifa fake crowd noise in our ears so at, at least we get the impression of being at a normal game so we're talking over that you know um which is just as well because we've got written journos all around us who can hear everything we're saying so um i'd be very conscious of that if i didn't have the crowd noise in my ears but it, it's still fake and you know where you stand on the gantry, you've got the away fans right next to you. You know, a lot of noise comes from there. A lot of noise comes from, you know, behind the goal on the right. It's just not the same at all. Um, you know, project restarts was one thing. We had to get those fixtures finished. Starting a new season with empty stadiums does feel a bit dispiriting and a bit depressing. Um, you know, I want to take my kids to to games and knowing I won't be able to do that. You know, we're very privileged as commentators to be going to these matches and I'm, I'm I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm delighted to be doing it. But for me, it's not what football's all about at all because it's all about the fans. I'm a fan of my team. Um, I'm devastated I can't go and watch them. Um, and, you know, going to matches with no supporters at all, it's it's all a bit depressing if I'm if I'm being really, really honest. On, on, on that, um, do you think the, the players now will appreciate even more so after this the importance of having spectators there, having their support, even in the times when things aren't going so well and maybe supporters are on their back a little bit. You think they will appreciate what the supporters give to the game? Because one thing I've always been been brought up and, and sort of drummed into me, it's all well and good, us as players and the people around, you know, involved in the, in the club itself from that perspective. But it counts for nothing if people don't want to come in and sit there and watch and voice their opinion, their excitement, and that of the game. I think that's something I'm hoping that players will understand far more. And I think for clubs like Bournemouth and Watford, because we have one or two foreign players at Watford, as you well know, and I think they need to understand that, yes, we may not be Manchester United or your Chelsea or them, but there's something even more special about being representative to play for these people, because these people... Uh, they love you because it's their club and you've got their shirt on and they expect you to put performance in. And it's, it's a slightly different thing rather than playing for all the... Every time you go out and you play for the big club, yeah, you want to play for cups and that sort of thing. But the thing when you play for Bournemouth and you play for Watford, it's the fact that fans are literally right there in the crowd with you. And the fact also that, you know, you're representing them. You're representing each and every fan that supports that club when you walk out in that pitch. And it's not about so much the history of what the club has gone. It's about you doing the best you can for them. And they will support you. If they see that, they will support you to the hill. And they, you know, they will never, ever turn their back on you. Yeah. Well, I'm like you. I'm a bit of an old fashioned footballing romantic. And, you know, the, the, the crowd is, is a massive part of it. All I can say is every player I've spoken to, um, both on air and off air has said to me they are desperate to get fans back because you know that, that that's what it's all about they're not hearing fake crowd noise in areas so 
Um, you know, what I would say is I think we we saw players being really, really committed even without the supporters. Um, but, you know, even in post-match interviews, we saw some pretty blunt answers. I'm sure you heard them yourselves from players, you know, giving four-letter word answers when they were asked about what it's like with no fans. So, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, 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 we want them back as soon as is humanly possible. And, let, you know, let's hope we start getting some in October. I mean, I think it's looking less and less likely. And I think what we do, we do know now is that we're not going to get away fans this season. Um, right. you know, which is desperately, desperately disappointing. Yes. Uh, Luther, one of the things that, um, that is one of the things that connects Watford and Bournemouth, that, that real strong sense of community and the connection the fans have to the, the, the club and the players. I think you, as a, a player who's played for both clubs, that's also an important connection. I think also Watford and Bournemouth, we went up together. We've gone down together. You know, we seem like there's this umbilical cord between us at the, at the moment. Do you think we are both going to go back up together next season? Well, I, I believe that um, both clubs in particular, more than I think Norwich do, have got a great opportunity here now, as long as the players understand that it's not the Premier League anymore. You're back into where you fight and scrap for every bit of turf that you're going to get. And you cannot afford to not be somewhere near the level that you need to be in the championship. Because if that is the case, that's the day that whoever you're up against will turn you over, whether they're at the bottom of the league or in the middle or, or anywhere near you. The, the, the championship is, is just one of the most annoying and most amazing places to play football. Because everywhere you go, you've got a game. It is a game, regardless of what stage or whatever of a game. Nobody gives up. And I think, again, going back to foreign players that have come in, they cannot really understand that. You know, they can't understand that no matter who you're playing, it's going to be like you're playing the Barcelona every week because that is the level that you need to be up against when you go out onto that pitch because nobody gives you anything. And for both clubs, I'm, I'm praying that, um, that both clubs go back up. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I'm hopeful that one of them does. <laughs> I looked at the odds just before we came on air, and um, ah. I don't know if you know who the favourites are to get promoted. Oh, really, um, Gary? What are they? Well, it's Brentford um, at top oh. with two, uh, two to one. Obviously, playoff um, beaten finalists. Then yeah. it's Watford and uh, Norwich together, and Bournemouth are fourth favourites. Um, but yeah. it's very, very close um, between them all. I mean, you know, they're hedging their bets. Um, before a ball's been kicked, and they're often very, very wrong. I mean, when Norwich got promoted, for example, I think they were like 15th or 16th favourites to get promoted that season. So, you know, we all know the championship is... If you want to go and predict the championship, you're a mug, quite honestly, because it's a, it's an absolutely great... I'm lucky enough to commentate on the championship for Sky sometimes. And I mean, it's a fantastic division because it's so ridiculously unpredictable and everyone can beat everyone else. So, um, but what, what we do know is from, uh, from the last few seasons is it's really important to make a good start. So, yes. you, you know, you, if you're playing catch-up early on, then it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, very true. Very true. Now, there's been a comment that has come in from Andy Rice, who said, uh, is there any truth to the rumour that Luther Blissett's home was called Far Corf? It was. Is there any tr- <laughs> it was. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but the only, the, only, the only thing with that is I didn't actually give it that name. It was called that because the person that I did before 
had some issue with the council, and so that was his way. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the name on the stuff when it came through. I thought I've got to buy this place, and I got out. Brilliant. Absolutely outstanding name. I think it's one of the best names I've ever seen for a house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely love that. Well, Luther, you know, obviously I've just been sort of looking through your career. And when I started, uh, you know, watching, you know, Bournemouth as a lad, you know, you were banging them in in the sort of late um, 80s. I mean, you were in the first division with Watford and then the second division you were with in the second and third for then Bournemouth, Watford, West Brom, etc. Do, do you think the second tier is, uh, I mean... I know it's changed sort of more recently, but do you think it's a division that's more sort of, you know, connected with the realities of football rather than the Premier League? Absolutely. The, the Premier League is, is almost, it is that fantasy league because when you look at the players that we now have playing in that division and you see, you see the likes of Man City and you see Liverpool. I mean, I watched a lot of Liverpool last season, went up there and even watched them live a number of times and they are... Now, but most of the time you think to yourself, they are just on another planet because they just go and then suddenly they hit you and you're, you know, you're one, two down in no time at all the way they play the game. And City's the same and Chelsea and you've got Manchester United and all of those teams up there. So it, it, is, it is almost a fantasy league of the, the Premier League. The Championship is what I remember the first division before it became the Premier League was all about, where, yes, there was a couple of teams that were maybe a bit special, but generally... If you went out and gave your all and did things in the right way, you can get a result against pretty much everybody. And that has continued. And I love that. That's what I love about the, the championship. You don't get games where it's a given that you go there and you're going to win. You know, you could be team at the top, we're playing the team at the bottom. And you could get beat 2 or 3 nil. And people go, how can that happen? Because you cannot afford to go there and thinking, yeah, we'll just swap these to one side because it doesn't happen. In the championship, you have to be on it every game. And that, yeah. I think, is a crucial thing. That is, that is huge about what the game, you know, we're playing in this league now is all about. And I think yeah. I look at what Jason's done and the fact that you mentioned there that, yes, Eddie used to change things during the game. Mourinho, Mourinho was one of the first that openly did it when he came to, to Chelsea. He would start the game, and if it wasn't going right, if he had to take a couple of players off, do that, he would do it. Didn't didn't care. Mm. And I think too many people leave it, leave it. In my time, when I've been, you know, especially when I took the reserve team at Watford when we first got in the Premier League back in '99, um, I I did that. I'd set the team up one way, but we'd have rehearsed another way of playing if things weren't going right, and we just change it, you know, and then we could change back. And I think it's important that your team are able to do that because. Periods of the game, whether you lose players to injury or the other the opposition are better on the day than what you are in certain areas, you have to adapt. And I think that's the biggest thing, spotting it early enough and making a change so you can combat that to give you that base so you can then turn the tables on them. And, and I think it's a fascinating. I don't think that's going to be an issue with um, at all with, with Jason on this at all. I think that is something they worked on together and that's going to still be a part of, I think, all the way Bournemouth do their stuff and... I think there are going to be a few more clubs playing with um, with three at the back this season. I just get that feeling that they're going to be doing that. I've seen Watford do it, and, um, and Watford are thinking about. It. And this coach, he used to did it, he did it when he was in Israel anyway. He did it quite often, changed from that, and then sometimes played a four three three or or a version of a four two four or whatever. You know, he he, he chopped it about a bit. So it's going to be an intriguing season how it's going to go. But starting well is huge. 
Well, it was fantastic to hear from Luther and Gary Taphouse and to have it confirmed, because I I wasn't particularly sure, and I'd always heard this rumour, but Luther Bliss's house was called Farkorf. Absolutely superb. Right then, next up on the agenda. Of course, we weren't there in the stadium to see it, but our YouTube subscribers saw it first. We played out a message on the big screen at the Vitality so the players could see and hear with good luck messages ahead of this season's campaign. Now, if you're a podcast regular, you'll know that we tried this in Project Restart. Um, Yeah, that worked well. Um, Hopefully... It uh, wouldn't have the same effect this time. And by 4.45pm, we were delighted to see that Bournemouth had come out 3-2 winners. So, to the music of Asleep at the Wheel from a band called Working for a Nuclear Free City, that's a mouthful, here were your good luck messages that were played out to the boys. What's up, guys? I'm checking in from Seattle. I just want to wish you guys good luck ahead of the game and for the rest of the season. I know you guys are amazing players, so I know it's going to be a great year. This is to all the AFC Bournemouth players and staff. Good luck in the upcoming season and just remember, together anything is possible. Let's go, Cherries. Let's make sure to have a strong start of the season and continue it throughout so we can be promoted straight back to the Premier League. Up the Cherries! Just wanted to say that we will support you no matter what. Give it your all. We're all behind you. Come on! We're so excited for the new season to begin. Um, new beginnings and we'll be backing you all the way even though it's going to be from home for now up the cherries good luck for the start of the season boys I'll be watching from home up the cherries good luck lads let's make sure that the championship know that we're only visiting this season come on up the cherries us fans are with you and together anything is possible go get it guys come on Bournemouth I hope you win today Juntos, todo es posible. Vamos con todo hasta el final. Creemos en todos ustedes. They say fortune favors the brave. So let's be strong, let's be brave, and let's go hunting for a promotion, and let's do it the Bournemouth way. You've got this. Up the cherries. A new chapter begins for AC Bournemouth. Do your best. We are all behind you. Come on, Bournemouth. Good. Cherries, players. This is... Race. Just not wanting to say that you lot are fantastic players. Come on! Cherry Chimes here, and it's the weekend. Junior and Arno, come on, give me the goals tomorrow. Up the cherries! Up the cherries! We're looking forward to the new football season. We're really looking forward to it, and we've got great faith in you guys. Come on, come on cherries. cherries! Hi guys, Richard from the Midlands here. Uh, go to every week home and away with my son. Good luck in all the forthcoming fixtures and hope to see you back playing live in the flesh very, very soon. Good luck. Last season is history. This season is now. Let's make a great future. Go out there, smash this league, show them what you're made of. Up the cherries. We believe in you. Come on, boys. Lads, that performance against West Ham gave us fans so much positivity, but it doesn't really mean anything, does it? This is where it counts. Play with style, swagger, do what you do, outscore the opposition. Can't wait to get some points on the board really quickly. Come on, you Reds. Come on, Bournemouth! Good luck, Bournemouth. Hope you have a good season. Hi, Jason, Stephen and the rest of the team. Just wanted to wish you a great start of the season against Blackburn. All of the fans are behind you on this exciting new chapter. Up the cherries. 
Hi lads, just wanted to take this time out to wish you all the best for the new season. We're all backing you as usual. It's a shame we didn't make it last year, but let's make sure we do it this year. Particularly my favourite player, Arno Danjuma, you can do it. You can score the goals. You can get us three points. Look forward to seeing you all on the, when we get back. Can't wait to get behind you boys again, home and away. Until then, up the cherries in all departments. So, the new season starts. We might not be able to be in the stadium right now, but we're behind you every step of the way. Now go tear up that championship. Good luck ahead of the new season, lads. Wish we could be there in person, but we'll all be supporting you from home. Good luck to Jason and the boys, and have every faith that we'll have another remarkable championship campaign. Let's get back up there. Come on, the cherries. Good luck to JT, the coaches, and all the players. A new season, a new era, brings new opportunities. When you step out on that pitch, give everything you've got. Let's score goals. Let's get three points. And together, anything, anything is possible. possible. Up the cherries! Amazing. Thanks to everyone who contributed to that. And uh, that final voice you heard was Kirk Tovey with his son there. And then on the video, there's little Ethan Burney kissing the badge. Now, if you know about Ethan, he also appeared on the full-time free-for-all, which is what we do on YouTube after every league match, where we chat for about an hour or so. Anyone can come on. Just basically pick up a pair of headphones and head to afcbpodcast.com slash take part. And then, yeah, we'll chat all things cherries. That's basically in replacement to me being outside the ground because, alas, we cannot go there. Now, if you want to watch the Palace match, uh, you can do so via the Carabao Cup Live website. Check our Twitter stream uh, because on there, that's a loud car. On there, you can hear and see the match. It's £10 or £2.50 for the audio commentary. Um, But, yeah... um, AFCB TV said we couldn't see it, but we actually can. Uh, We're going to be previewing that later on. There won't be a free-for-all for it, but we will certainly have our say on the podcast, on the YouTube channel. So do make sure you're subscribing if you're not already. So... 3-2 3-2 to Bournemouth against Blackburn Rovers and Jeff Hayward is prepping his mic. Let's see what he has to say. Right then, 48 hours have passed and we've all settled down and uh, Jeff Hayward, he is one such supporter that's feeling pretty upbeat and he's here with me Jeff how are you yeah pretty good thanks Sam it's uh it's been a weekend where cherries are sitting in the top half of the table and we got back to winning ways on Saturday against Blackburn Rovers it was a it was a satisfying performance uh, a tentative start the usual Bournemouth mistakes and a return to the kamikaze cherries brand of football that we all know and I think love yeah I think one side that's going to be title contenders against one that's probably going to be mid upper mid table. Mm. Uh, one side that was a little bit complacent about the quality of the opposition, um, and you know had to had to work harder than we probably thought uh, at the time, uh, but came out on top of in a in a thrilling game. It was very much like Liverpool leads in the Premier League. I thought actually. You know, we were a bit sloppy as Liverpool were, and took it took um, just a just a little bit complacent, particularly 
in that sort of first half and that middle bit of the second half. But, you know, in a, in a funny way, mm. always thought we were going to come out on top. Yeah, it's it was a game which was end-to-end at times. I thought the first 20, 25 minutes was pretty poor. But then after Stacey's goal, it opened up. Blackburn had the high press, so they knew how to deal with us up there. But um, it took a moment of magic from him, a great strike from what, 25 yards or so, um, to put us one up. And then the game really kicked in. And as I said earlier, some people could call it kamikaze. And it's one of those matches, I think, that if we get the points... People call it entertaining, but if we don't, they call it reckless and schoolboy. So it just depends how the result fell. But like you say, I always felt as though we had more to give and we were almost playing at 75%. And when we needed to, we upped our level. And, uh, you know, we called it on the podcast last week and on, on podcasts throughout the week. It's just a case of us outscoring teams once again, isn't it? It is. It's it's a taste of what the championship's going to be like. Blackburn are uh, an honest side who are going to play aggressively. They're going to play with that physical intensity against us. They're going to foul us quite a lot to try and put us off our game. And we have to be up for that physical part of it, as well as being able to um, be better than them in terms of the quality we've got on the pitch. And I, I think there were times in that first half where we played some really nice one-touch football, but then there were times where we just invited pressure onto us with the way that we tried to pass through them from the back. We didn't help ourselves over hitting passes to Mark Travers, just being a bit sloppy in trying to get the ball out, very much like we were for patches last season when teams did that against us. And... And yeah, you know, it took us about 25 minutes before we decided, you know what, we're just going to go long and, and stop messing about, which, again, you know, just just thinking a bit quicker on the pitch, you know, you can see that happening. Just go a bit longer. Don't don't invite the pressure because it gave them confidence. Um, and even our goal, even our goal, right, we mess up a corner routine. Yeah. You know, it looks like nothing's going to happen. Get the ball over to Stacey and you... I don't know about you, but I was thinking, oh, don't have a go from there. (laughs) But what a peach. Yeah, an absolute peach. And it was a short corner. And I wasn't sure whether it was an intentional thing, because I think we did a couple of short corners throughout the game. And that's one thing that Eddie deployed uh, a few seasons ago. And then it all seemed to stop. And we just lumped the ball into the box, albeit with some good consequences like Rico's at Southampton which you know Ake headed in but it seemed that that's one of the things that um, Eddie stopped doing and um, you know we've experimented with the 3-4-3 previously hasn't really worked and you sort of wonder when Eddie said new direction in his uh, letter to say goodbye I wonder whether that was one of the formations he was maybe adverse to that JT wanted to push because we we all know uh, what Graham Jones uh, likes to play, and we've got um, you know a piece on the podcast on the free for all where uh, Keith Thomas, the Cherry supporter, has you know basically sort of analysed his style of football, and um, it very much favours the formation that we've got at the moment. But let's let's wind things back to the actual team that started, Jeff, and um, we nearly called it, didn't we? In fact, you said it was probably going to be Mepamova Rico, and I insisted we put uh, Rico in, but you were right; you pretty much got the eleven. Nailed on. Were you happy with that for uh, that formation when you saw it and the players? 
Yeah, I, uh, Rico was carrying a knock, so he would have been in contention, I'm sure. And it, and Mepham went off late on. I don't think he's completely match fit yet. But yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be that. I thought that uh, Stanislas and Danjuma would get the nod over uh, one of those two and Brooks just because of the greater sharpness that they they'd shown in games, uh, both preseason and and towards the end of last season. Brooks feels to me like he needs to be eased back into into things, um, partly to protect him, partly to uh, to make sure we get yeah get the best out of him when he is match fit, rather than you know sort of make it make him start from the beginning and, and cramp up after fifty minutes, which was happening towards the end of last season. So yeah, you know, I was I was pleased with that. I thought. The way we actually started playing as well, you talk about Eddie playing that sort of lineup where, you know, it's five at the back or three three centre halves and, and two wing backs pushing up. But actually whenever Eddie used to play that, and I'm not sure whether it's the personnel that we now have available to play in those slots, but it always felt too rigid. And we ended up as a flat back five when we when we deployed that rather than an aggressive go forward three four three. Whereas uh, I thought Saturday Actually, we played with fluidity from the start and kept that going right through the game, which was really pleasing. I think uh, Smith and Stacey have been told to get forward as much as possible and they've shown that they can do that last season. Uh, Stacey, especially on the right, I was really impressed with him in a number of games. Against Arsenal, I thought he did very uh, very well at the Emirates. But um, I think that you know, first 20, 25 minutes of that game, it wasn't much really going on, but we controlled it, I think. Uh, Blackburn had not many chances that I can really remember. And our, our first shot, I seem to remember, came in from Lewis Cook, which was um, yeah. a shot that went wide. And he wasn't in a dissimilar position to what Jack Stacey was. Now, if you ask me to put money on who do you think is going to score first out of Lewis Cook and Jack Stacey, I would say, well, Lewis Cook, he's, well, he's played more games. He's a, he's a player that should be, by all intents and purposes, further up the pitch. But it was Jack Stacey that turned up at the right time. And what an absolute peach of a strike it was, as you said. It was going towards the keeper, wasn't it? And then it just bended off. And I think it might have even hit the inside of the post as it went in. But what a cracking strike that was. Yeah, he just hit across it. Beautiful fade on the ball. Took it away from the keeper and skimmed the turf. So absolutely no chance. Be- uh, beauty. Uh, who had money on Jack Stacey being the first goal scorer this season? <laughs> Not me. Certainly not, not me. me. Not I was me. I was absolutely uh, really chuffed for him. Yeah, great low strike and space just seemed to open up for Bournemouth after that because, as I said, Blackburn they had the high press, but then uh, the, you know they needed to do more work in the middle to you know to get the ball. And you know when they did equalise, it was I mean it was a stroke of luck, wasn't it? Really, I mean Mark Travers there. I, I can't really even explain it. I've watched it in slow mo to see what he does wrong. He almost dives over the ball or maybe it bobbles somewhat. I'm I'm still not sure how he didn't really save that. It was poor. Um, I think there were a couple of things about it. I, at that point, it was a struggle to see how are Blackburn going to score at all because they showed very little goal threat up until that point. Then when he receives the ball, he's about 35 yards out, but the midfield, nobody in the midfield closed him down. And that's what I mean about that sort of complacency. When you think you're that much better than the opposition, you think, oh, there's no way they can hurt us. You just take it a bit easy. 
And and I've, I I think that our midfield was guilty of that through th- at that point and also in the second half after we went 2-1 up, we sort of sat off them a bit and didn't really close them down. Lerma and Cook need to work harder, put those yards in and, and you know, takes energy and effort and maybe, maybe they're not quite there on that match fitness. Anyway, he shoots from 35 yards. It's a free shot. He shouldn't have the free shot anyway. Uh, but Travers has got to do better than that. And um, yeah, don't think Ramsdale would have made that mistake. But I'm not convinced that Begovic might have done something similar. Well, I know. I, I do agree with that. And whether he's even going to be in contention this season is is yet to be decided. So we went in at one all, And at that point in time, I got the same feeling that I got against Sheffield United. I mean, albeit that was after... 90 minutes when they equalised late on, but I could almost foresee it being a draw. I think Johnson uh, had a had a strike early doors in the second half, but he kind of slashed it wide. And it was a chance that they should have scored. And they had a number of chances, really, that they should have done better with. But then if you look at the chances that we had as well, we probably created more, more clear-cut chances. And we maybe just weren't as clinical. Uh, I remember on 53, 54 minutes or so, Stacey fed Solanke. And at that point in time, I was absolutely willing him to shoot. He didn't. But then he laid off Jefferson Lerma. And cool, calm and collected. The big Colombian steps up and just caresses it into the corner of the net. What a goal that was. And it came at a really good time for us, didn't it? What a goal. Like you, I was politely encouraging Solanke to have a go. Mm. Uh, with some colourful phrases, <laughs> but um, but actually the pass inside to Lerma, what a great finish! the The interest, interesting thing I thought was that we were playing really good football to create our chances. You know, we weren't lumping it forwards and getting the ricochets, whatever. Ours, our our football was actually pretty good, and that was what was really encouraging. You know, we had that sort of sense of quality. What was worrying was that Blackburn didn't really have to work that hard to create their chances. Yeah. And if they had better finishers, we could have been in serious trouble. And I think that's that's what I mean. You know, we, we've got to recognise that they may, they may not have the quality, but they will fancy having a go at us because physically, if we're not up for it and we don't put our bodies on the line, we're going to be we're going to be vulnerable. So to go 2-1 up, fully deserved. And I thought, actually, we'd kick on and be quite comfortable after that. Yeah, so did I. It's it's fair to say that Blackburn posed more of a threat than even West Ham did. I mean, I know West Ham came back to 2-all as well, albeit the scoring pattern went differently. But they were set up uh, a lot different to what West Ham were. And I thought that despite the fact that they didn't have the attacking edge that West Ham could have, uh, I just thought it was a much stiffer test. And... In a way, to be, I mean, you know, in hindsight, I'm looking back at the 3-2 now and thinking, as I said, on the free-for-all, I'm kind of glad that it didn't all go our way because it shows JT that we can't be complacent in this league. Um, And that was summed up by the Blackburn equaliser, uh, 2-all. Well, in fact, before that, Solanke could and should have made it 3-1 because Dan Juma fed him. And it was a great, Terrific, you know, oh, terrific save. A great save. And he was in the right place at the right time. And I'm not really sure what else he could have done, really. He might just perhaps hit it more higher into the roof of the net, perhaps. But uh, he's getting into the right positions, which is a positive thing to see, isn't it? And again, the creativity. You know, Dan Juma had a fine match all afternoon, was causing them problems. 
that sort of awareness to pull it back uh, at that point. You know, it was it was really good, really nice, high quality football that we were playing to get those chances. Blackburn, on the other hand, were strolling through our midfield, particularly after they made two substitutions to sort of go a bit more, you know, direct at our back four and 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 try and run through us a bit more, which, you know, we did not deal with that very well. And partly, I think, a lack of familiarity with the system that we were playing. You know, the first time we, we've really played that competitively. Partly, I think, a lack of match sharpness and match fitness, which JT alluded to in his match interview afterwards. Um, but yeah, you know, just because we're that much better doesn't mean we're just going to walk it. We are not. And we're particularly away from home. We have got to recognise that we're going to be pushed by teams. They're going to they're going to try and put us off our game and they're going to try and go for us as Blackman mm. did. And, you know, they could have, they, they could have, should have scored before they did. Mm. Uh, a sloppy goal as well, because he goes down that right-hand side We've got to stop getting the, the people getting those crosses in. And Lloyd Kelly was out there and just makes a challenge. But, you know, it's, it's about throwing yourself in front of that sort of ball to stop the cross going in in the first place. I think there's there's still a lot to learn. And, you know, Lloyd Kelly's got a lot to learn. I mean, I think he, he's a great prospect. But, yeah, we should have really prevented that cross from coming in. And then, you know, we had three players in the box, maybe four, that should have dealt better with the player that picked it up because he yeah. should have had the space to turn and yeah. then you know put it into the corner of the net like he did and then you know they made it 3-2 albeit it was offside now we haven't got the benefit of 10 million replays from all sorts of angles to see whether it was offside or not but did you get a glimpse of that as to whether it was uh on my uh slide rule that i drew on the tv he was it was about that much off so oh, okay yeah, I was kind. Of, no, I, I've no idea. I thought he was offside, um, and thank thank the Lord that he was because, uh, yeah, you know they they had some very straightforward chances in our box, um, poor finishing from them, but boy, did we make them pay for it! You know, eighty four minutes, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah, so it's Adam Smith who is uh, who's running up the pitch, and yeah, Dan Juma ahead of him on the left hand side, and he was in a in a position whereby he, had, he still had a number of players in front of him, but just the sheer pace, and then he just took a touch on the outside of his right foot, just a manifest. He came in on his right foot, and it just took one touch. He didn't have to take many, and then he just rifled it into the top right hand corner. And oh, what a guy! This this guy could be massive for us this season. Yeah, it was Benfica all over again, wasn't it? And and what you saw throughout the game, I thought was just a joy about playing again, a confidence and, and the know-how that we can beat teams like Blackburn, that we believe we are better than these sorts of teams. And when you've got that belief, it is a bit like your Liverpool or Manchester City playing against anybody. You know, you just you just don't worry about the other team coming back because you know you've got the firepower and you can turn it on. Now, whether we will do that in every game or not is obviously, you know, it's not going to happen like this every game. But to play with that belief give always gives you a chance. And Dan Juma didn't do that once last season. I know he didn't play much, but he didn't do that once last season. There he is, 84th minute. And I don't know about you, as soon as he gets that ball and looks to go inside, that's Benfica. He's going to score. 
And it just shows what confidence can really do uh, you know, to a player because a guy that had limited chances, I think, you know, hopefully the championship will be uh, a good platform for him to develop himself. And then if we get promoted, he can hit the ground running in the Premier League as a player that knows the Bournemouth style. But, you know, one step at a time, um, we've beaten Blackburn Rovers 3-2, but we had Lloyd Kelly to thank, didn't we? Wow, what a block. You know, that was Ake-like, wasn't it? And and that's what I mean, you know. He obviously learnt from not blocking that cross earlier because he, he threw himself in front of, uh, I can't remember the name of the player, but he threw himself in front of that Blackburn striker. Mm. Fantastic. That that saves us that saves us losing a, losing two points and um, important challenge. And that's, that's the sort of mentality that the whole team have got to show. It's sort of, I think it sort of helped when we went to a 4-4-2. You know, we felt a bit more in control, albeit they did get that last gasp opportunity to, to equalise. Um, but generally, I mean, you look at our bench compared to theirs. I mean, we had Gosling coming off the bench. We had Billing coming off the bench. We had David Brooks coming off. I mean, two internationals, mm. you know, quality players. Great. And when Brooks... Came on, he created a chance for Dom Solanke, I think. And as I said on one of the previous videos, sometimes with Dom, it's almost like he's looking to try to set someone up before he's looking to shoot. Another player in that situation, like Jermaine Defoe, uh, you know, would be selfish and just would strike it first time. And I think Dom needs a little bit more of that. Yeah, um, I, it's all you know. It's very difficult to say in hindsight, given the fact that when he didn't shoot and set Lerma up, Lerma scored it. But in other situations, you're thinking, why didn't he just put you know caress it into the left corner with his left foot? It seemed to open up for him. But you know, unselfishness is good. He's a good team player. He likes to come deep to collect the ball, but he just needs a little bit more confidence. And I really wanted that game to be one where he could just get off the mark because I feel as though it could be a monkey on his back again if he's not scoring goals quickly. I think he just needs to get on the score sheet and, you know, just get started and try to kick on. And hopefully the Middlesbrough match will be the one uh, for him to do that. But yeah, bringing on Brooks, superb, you know, Dan Gosling, brilliant. But, you know, you look a bit deeper than that and you think, well, if we start getting injuries, then we have to rely on some of our youth players to be filling the void. And it is clear that we do need some signings in certain places but mm. it's quite worrying in a way to see that Tyndall is saying that no one is really close yet mm. well there, there's been talk about uh, the striker from Ipswich you know a league one player coming into the club which you know doesn't exactly fill you with with a great deal of uh, satisfaction I know Jack Wilshire's looking to be out of contract from West Ham but is he really going to come down to the championship to play Matt Ritchie said no so it's it is a little bit worrying. I, I mean, on the one hand, you kind of want the players to have something to prove and have that appetite, and that will suit a lot of those younger under twenty ones. I mean, people like Surridge, when they get a chance, you actually feel that they will have points to prove, and they're going to give it everything. Off a ball as well, exactly the same. Kilkenny, I think, is is one of those players that you think, eh, you know, he's got something to prove, but. Will we run out of gas? Will we run out of players just because of the relentlessness of the schedule? It's a risk. It is. And also when the transfer window, obviously it's open for a bit and it will be open again later in the season. If, if Dan Schumer is still on fire, 
then I'm sure that a Premier League team will come knocking. Um, well, I would, I would yeah. like to think that we could keep hold of him based on the fact that we might be riding high in the league at that point in time, but you don't know. The club seems to have signalled their intent that money in the bank is more important than anything else at the moment. Potentially, that's a risk. I do think with Dan Juma, though, he's, he's going to be on, he's on a long contract at the moment. You know, he's yeah. just done one year. Injury issues last year are also going to help us. You know, I think he'll need a complete season before he moves on. And no Premier League side, I think, is going to put their hand in their pocket for 30 billion plus for him, which is inevitably what we're going to ask if he is having an amazing season. We've got to look on the plus side, really. With the, I mean, I know that a lot of people have been calling it a fire sale. It's not a fire sale because people have not sold at their true value. And people have been wanting us to sign someone, sign anyone. People have been just been saying, try to announce someone. We haven't. But you look at the players that we have. I mean, well, let's look at the players we got rid of. Players that seemingly weren't really interested anyway. Uh, Josh King perhaps will follow. If not, that could be a bonus if we keep him. And he... he plays in the championship who knows I mean but you look at the players that we have retained so far so far David Brooks yeah Lloyd Kelly Jefferson Lerma Dan Juma that's a decent backbone there isn't it and you know Steve Stalwart there's a good mix of youth and experience there you know this could be a good season for us I think so. I, 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 I seriously believe that we have a really good chance of going back up the the championship is not full of outstanding teams with outstanding quality players, except perhaps uh, Norwich and Watford, Yeah, assuming they keep hold of some of their star talent as well, you know, assuming Pookie stays for Norwich, assuming Deeney and Sars stay for, for Watford and some of the others that they've got. You know, that that actually, our squad is really, really good quality. They've put a fifty million price tag I see on Brooks. Mm. Um, well, you know, you, I think I think current climate unlikely that he will go. He's, again, he's on a long term contract. He's he's going to stay, I think, and and that would be great for us to have those players still with us past October because we could do something special. That game on Saturday was one of those games where you think we could score four easy here and. Blackburn are a decent championship side. If we can play like that against teams like that, and we feel that we've got four goals in us every game, what a season we've got to look forward to. Yeah, very much so. Now, 3-2 then, and Bournemouth riding high in the league. Let's just talk about some really good points. Novar, Jeff, so... (laughs) When that whistle went at 3-2 to claim, well, uh, when Blackburn made it 3-2, but didn't make it 3-2, ruled out for offside, was there still a moment where you were worrying? Oh, because there was for me. And then I thought, oh, hang on. It doesn't matter. No VAR. It is going to be offside. Yeah, it was a blessed relief, wasn't it? Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. This, and also, I don't know, I've, the atmosphere... I know it's behind closed doors and I know that we had to play out the season like we did, but starting a new season with no fans, I don't know. To me, I was watching the highlights and obviously we've not got the augmented FIFA crowd sounds on this, but obviously AFC Bournemouth put on their commentary with Chris Temple and I've seen the kind of uh, the commentaryless highlights and I've seen the alternative angle footage that AFC TV have put out. It, it just felt in some ways, like we were going through the motions somewhat. And it's really hard to explain, but it just, it 
it didn't feel like we'd properly started yet. I, I, I don't know if you got that same feeling. Yeah, I agree with that, Sam. I think we were about 65, 70% of where we need to be. And um, we definitely need to be sharper and quicker to the ball in midfield, quicker at closing teams down to make sure that our quality does get the opportunity to stand out. Brilliant. So that was Jeff Hayward's view there. And what about everyone else? These are some of the highlighted comments from the full-time free-for-all. Uh, that was more entertaining in that game than we did in the insipid heart, uh, season last. Uh, really good. I like it. Uh, you score two, we score three. Um I quite like the three at the back. I know there's some uh, debate about that. That was happening on Twitter. But, you know, once we get our shape ready, um, I think I think that's the way forward. So, you know, we've got Den Juma, who's absolutely superb. Solanke, really, really solid. And, uh, and there was touches of quality by Stan as well. So we've got a really good front three, and we've got Surridge as well. Um, midfield. Is Lewis and Lerma the combination? I'm not so sure. Or should we drop uh, another midfielder in when we're getting overrun, as we were doing at some points in the game? But generally speaking, that's the sort of brand of football I want. Um, whether others want that, I'm not so sure. It's just good to have some positivity back, I think, after watching that. I think in, in the lockdown, when we were watching games, I was just so, each game that went by, I was just getting so down and just thinking something's got to change. And I think I think today, even though there's been talks of the performances being a little bit poor today, I think uh, there's some positives to take from that. So, yeah, I'm feeling good, mate. Yeah, we called it last week, didn't we? Um, outscore teams, uh, edge of the sofa football wasn't perfect. Let's, not, let's be honest with ourselves. But we're winning football match. We got the three points and that's what, what's important. I think we can see with the 3-4-3 three, three, and we saw it last week, um, there are going to be times throughout the season when we might become unstuck with it. Um, but it worked today and we did enough to get over the line. Blackburn were a very well-drilled side. Um, they're not... I wouldn't say that they're a talented bunch of individuals. Um, you know, we've got a lot more talent on the pitch. Um, however, they were so well drilled, um, they made it difficult for us. And that moment really opened the game. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Very frustrating. I could not get the game today. So the wife and I had breakfast and did some shopping and I was checking every web board I could find. I'm curious. I have a couple of questions for you guys. Uh, it seemed we would score or we would give up a goal. We would score or we would give up a goal. So are we as maybe weak defensively as it seemed? And then the second thing I will say, um, in, in American football, especially college football, the, the old saying is teams improve the most from week one to week two. Is that the case in football there uh, in the UK, I'm I'm just curious. What what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I I personally, yeah, I per personally, I think you know we will get better. Um, yeah, I think Blackburn will well drilled side. Um, however, if we were playing Brentford, we would have had a lot more problems. Um, 
so there needs to be that improvement um but i believe there will be progress made um as kirk mentioned and many people have mentioned in the past as well we've we've got um the nice problem to have of having three very very capable wingers um so dan juma stanislas and brooks um and i think JT made the right decision today. Um, whether or not that would be the right decision against every team, you have to do it on a team-by-team -team basis. Um, but Blackburn, for me, held a lot of unknowns. I hadn't really looked at them, to be honest. I haven't really looked at the championship in much detail um, for the past five seasons. So what I found um, was a very drilled, well-drilled side um a side that have done their homework on us um but at the same time um i think we will improve and um i'm sure jt and um the staff have been looking at that game last night um and i'm confident we'll get something from middlesbrough you know i'm confident we'll probably get three points from them and just a reminder, as I said earlier, we won't be doing a free-for-all after the Crystal Palace match because, well, most people won't be watching it because AFCB initially said that you can't watch the game, but you can. It's just via the Carabao Cup live website. A little bit confusing. So, um, anyway, who will we even play? That's the question, isn't it? We don't want to risk injuries to any of our players that are probably going to be starting against Middlesbrough, so we'll probably see a lot of the youth in action. Right, let's get Jeff back to preview it. So, Jeff, Palace at home on Tuesday in a cup that we could probably really do without, can we? I think we need to look at it as a lot of teams have pre-season. Again, you know, let's try out some of the reserves. Let's let's uh, have a look at some of the players who are on the fringe of the the squad and. I'm surprised the Carabao Cup is actually running this season because it seems to me the obvious thing to to drop. Yeah, I'm sure the sponsors have got a lot to say. I mean, if they're declaring that, I mean, one of the draws a couple of a couple of seasons ago was at 4 a.m., wasn't it? Uh, you know, it was like peak time for China, and for us, it was the worst possible time in the world. But 4 a.m. draws. There's been a lot of um, changes they've made to the tournament, and yeah, to me, it just seems like a a second-rate trophy, albeit it's been one that AFC Bournemouth have done well in in recent seasons. But this season, more than most, you've got to say that it cannot be a priority. Maybe if we had more depth in our squad, it would be, but we simply haven't. We cannot afford to get any first teamers injured. Otherwise, we are. Maybe we've got a few players that can stand in, but then the options off the bench after that, we're basically looking at our under twenty ones um, and. You sort of thinking which players, with some, you know, with some pedigree for AFC Bournemouth, may be fielded. So you can think, okay, well, Dan Gosling, he came off the bench. Maybe he'll start. Maybe Phil Billing will start. But other than that, you're sort of looking up front and thinking, what's going to happen here? Sam Surridge, you've got Surridge, him. Yeah. Other than that, what is Dom Solanke going to get another go? Will we stick with three four three or will we revert to four four two? It's a it's a really difficult one. I think I think players like Jack Simpson will probably start. I think player I think Begovic might start actually instead of Travers. And um, I think up front maybe he'll start. Maybe he'll give Brooks a, an outing. It, it's really tricky because we don't have that sort of depth. It is going to be a lot of the younger 
players. I think he will keep that 3-4-3 system because I think that's the way he's set out that we are going to play this season and we need to practice that, get better at it. Um, but what are Palace going to do? You know, they're going to play their reserves because ultimately the attraction of playing Manchester City away in the next round is not something that fills you with a, a thoughts of progression to actually win a trophy, is it? Come on. You know, it's like, oh, do we really need that? No, I, you know, I I would have been sort of five six years ago. I'd have been starry eyed at that fixture, but now I just think it's the worst possible tie oh. that we could ever have. Uh, it's just, and it it it's a waste of time. Yeah, it really is, and it is just ninety minutes more t- chance. You know, ninety minutes more chance for players to get injured, and that and that's all I'm thinking it is. Um, yes, maybe they could use it as a training drill or to maybe. Uh, practice what they're going to do for the next game. But at the end of the day, the team that we're playing after Man City are not going to be anywhere near as good. So what's the point? I I don't know. It just strikes me with, um, you know, a sense of pointlessness and Crystal Palace. I wouldn't go so far as to say that I think they should throw the game, but you've got to play players that aren't in contention for today's match at Borough, perhaps. Yeah, and... And I look at the league table in the Premier League after one game and see West Ham, West Brom uh, and Fulham in the bottom three. And I think to myself, well, we're better than all those three teams. So, you know, we need to concentrate on winning the flipping league this year. That's the priority. Win the championship or get back up because we are better than three teams without any doubt <laughs> after that first week's performance. Um, so, yeah, let's let's concentrate on the league, get back up there and uh, let's win something. So, yeah, as you say, it could be Begovic in goal, might see the likes of Will Dennis maybe. And, yeah. you know, Namdi could be starting in the middle. Uh, if he's going to go the 3-4-3, three, three, maybe we'll see, uh, you know, Billing or you know, Gosling. I think that Sam Surridge is probably going to play. Maybe Solanke will have another go as well to get his confidence up and get, you know, maybe score a goal. But Crystal Palace, you know, they won't be any mugs. But you know, for them as well, it's a fixture that they won't really want either. I can't really see any team wanting to do well in this cup this yeah. season. I mean, I've got a feeling this season, more than most, you'll probably have a winner that's, uh, uh, you know, a bit left field, a team that maybe isn't in the top six, a team like Wolves or Leicester, perhaps, that could potentially win it. Possibly, possibly. I just think it causes headaches for teams wherever they are, you know, Premier League or, or, or Championship. So it's, it's practice time, sadly terrible to say that but it is and remember if you want to watch the match uh, you can watch it on the carabao cup live website so they got a brand new website where you can watch it off all the details are on our twitter stream um if you are going to watch it do enjoy uh, on youtube we're not going to have a free for all uh, but there will be a post match reaction video so make sure you check that out Brilliant. Well, Jeff, uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast once again today. Thank you. Looking forward to another three points then. So there we go. Should be a very interesting match. And uh, if you're watching the one camera stream, then hope you do enjoy the game and uh, do make sure you check out the reaction on our YouTube channel straight after the game if you can.
So there we go. That just about wraps up another podcast. Thank you for listening this far. But the start of the show, of course, we did Do You Remember? There was a certain player for AFC Bournemouth in our last win over them that scored with the very first touch of the ball. Can you remember who it was? Well, I'll tell you right now, it was Junior Stanislas. He came on the pitch and then he converted a penalty in the 87th minute. It was his usual casual style where he just slightly chips it into the middle of the net and Bournemouth ended up winning 2-1 against Palace. Hopefully we can have a repeat of that in the Carabao Cup rather than our turgid first match after Project Restart. That was awful. But anyway, enjoy the game tomorrow and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hopefully we won't have a minor knock and we'll bring this podcast out first thing Monday morning. Until then, you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Smith leading the charge. Then Juma left corner of the penalty area. Arno Dan Juma in the box. Onto his right foot. Oh, magnificent finish. Arno Dan Juma, that might be the winner. A fantastic strike from the Cherries pre-season in-form man. And the Dutchman has his first competitive form with goal. And they're back in front for the third time. 3-2. Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.